In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 400 oh yeah this week we are marking a big anniversary and we're joined by no pro team members ali Murata, our new york curator our la reviews editor kevin gossett patrick mclean our chicago curator our new england curator leah davis Laura Hess, our arts editor, and Parker Sella, the associate producer of this very podcast. Yes, it's a team episode, this time delving into a bit of origin stories and a snapshot of where Immersive is at this moment in time. In fact, uh, we went up uh, kicking off uh, some questions that uh, we'll have to come around and answer in another format. Just real quick, um, and, and I did a version of this and then scrapped it. Um, you know, it used to be that I would do the rant at the beginning of the show and then I moved it to like, I think we're on episode 50 or maybe episode 100, probably, probably closer to 50 to the end of the show. Um, I just, I just want to, want to, want to make a note of sort of an overarching theme that's, that's happening right now in a lot of the, the op-ed writing I'm doing, which is there are folks and have always been folks who want to, uh, bury <laughs> immersive as a term. Um, and my, my sense of that is always just what a waste of time. Uh, the term is useful, uh, because it does describe a subjective experience that audiences have, and that can be designed for in order to give them a deeper connection to a story world a theme, an idea, a method of giving people agency so they can create a story alongside the people who have built the tools for them. I feel that this work is kind of a teleological endpoint. I, I used to describe uh, immersive as sort of the, the reigning queen of the arts because much like opera before it, it is a form of total work. It brings together all these disciplines and, and, and puts it all into one very contentious container. I know that given artists, given, given creators, uh, might play with immersive for a while, get bored with it, want to put it down and move on and then declare it over. And it is for them. But I look around the world we have right now, and even with some of the larger pieces having their season and then moving off the stage, such is the way with a lot of art. It's ephemeral in nature. Not, not everything sticks around for an incredibly long time. But as a culture... 
we keep coming back to this form. You're going to hear about something later, not for too long. You're going to hear about something later in this show that I learned about this week that was going on when I was in high school that if I had known about and could have gotten to, I would have lost my mind for once upon a time. And indeed, there are plenty, plenty of works over the last few decades that we would now call immersive that we weren't using that term for before. What's been happening over the eight years that we've been doing this show is that more people are picking up the tools and finding new ways to use them and more importantly, creating new ways for people to build stories alongside them for folks to make their own meeting meaning out of the material that's given and entrusted to them. This is something I'm incredibly excited about. And it's something that I'm incredibly, incredibly exciting to get to teach. Uh, I teased this a little in previous episodes. Uh, I'm going to be teaching at CalArts in the fall. Um, the, the member of the theater department there invited me in. Uh, I'll be teaching a class called Centering the Audience, Immersive Design. Uh, the students will be making their own pieces. I'll, I'll be helping to guide that process. I'm incredibly excited to be working in that mode again. It'll be my first college class that I've taught but I have been teaching people since I was 16 years old. So not my first rodeo, but definitely the biggest rodeo I've, I've been a part of and working in, in exactly the medium that means the most to me. Um, and I'm so looking forward to what I'm going to learn by teaching. I've always learned so much by teaching and I'm really, really looking forward to what we're going to discover uh, as, as we explore there. And, and then in the spring, there's a plan around teaching uh, a history course, um, not just looking at the last 10 years, but indeed looking back at the, the last few decades. And that's another reason why I'm got my eyes open and my ears tuning into all the different kinds of, of work that's happened in the past few decades that we would now recognize as part of this. Um, this is why I am so unfazed when people, because they always have <laughs> since the start of the show, when they want to go, well, immer immersive's done, you know, there was sleep no more, but well, now it's done. Well, there was all those those marketing things at South by Southwest was well, well VR's over already. Uh well, well Disney did it in the theme parks and and, and it, it didn't work the same. Well, and that just keeps happening over and over again. Well, well this happened, but you know, it's done now. You know, we moved on. Uh, alternate reality games over, escape rooms are a fad. All of this stuff. It just denies the fundamental truth that we keep coming back to this over and over and over again. And the more people who are initiated into it, the more who want to take a crack at making it and the more people who want to play.
does not mean and will never mean that this becomes the dominant form of art or entertainment. That's video games. And if you want that, (laughs) no. Um, (laughs) But even there, what's beautiful about this form is that it is a unique way of bringing together different artistic disciplines and sharing in a Promethean fashion some of the power of the art with the audience and seeing where that takes them and where it takes you. And those artists who keep exploring immersive, what courage they show to hand over some of the fire they stole and hand it to the people that they first thought they were trying to entertain or enlighten and instead find themselves being illuminated by them. Much as in the same way that I'm looking forward to being illuminated by the students. So there you go. Sometimes when I do this one, I like to say, the state of immersive is strong. But I don't need to say that. Because that's like saying water is wet and gravity makes things draw close to each other. Immersive just is. It is one of the endpoints of artistic practice. There you go. One of the endpoints of, uh, that's a bad transition. I'm going to keep it though. Uh, look, the endpoints of this part of the podcast is usually me doing, uh, the Patreon bit. Now I'm going to do the Patreon bit, right? So our latest backer is James Lover, whose $5 a month pledge is keeping us in the fight to carry on this mission. Uh, we did have, uh, we had a, a sustaining backer that was sort of a one month sustaining backer. They're, they're gone now. So the big numbers, shrunk back down. This was a known thing. This was expected. Doesn't mean we don't need more backers though. That's another reason why the $5 a month level, specifically the $5 a month level, uh, not, not like the, the stuff that just comes in monthly. That is the, that is the sweet spot for us, right? Like keep that stuff flowing in, hit up patreon.com slash no proscenium that powers the podcast powers. The websites mean literally pays the bills. Uh, for both no pro and everything immersive, it gets you access to our member only discord, which is warming up this summer. It's really things are starting to pop off. I got to be in there more often. Uh, <laughs> plenty of people are, uh, you're going to find a whole community of creators and fans there as well as regular real time chats. Uh, and we're stirring up some AMAs and some book club action coming up later this season. Uh, there's a book, uh, we're all all of us are kind of informally uh, book clubbing right now, though we're not getting together to talk about it. That book being Hyper Reality, The Art of Designing Impossible Experiences. That's by one Curtis Hickman, one of the co-founders of The Void. And let me tell you, I've been reading this book and uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely loving how much it's codified in here. 
And if you wanted to know some of how they pulled off all the stuff in the void, well, there you go. And uh, we're going to have Curtis on the show. And I think we're going to manage to get Curtis uh, into the, the Discord and do some talking. I said, I think we haven't locked it down yet, but no, no full promises, but I'm working hard. I really, I really want it to happen for us. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. If you're already in there, if you are a backer, do, do link your Patreon account to the discord draw or, uh, not or, and drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. You can tell when I move back to the reading, uh, and share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. It helps immensely. We're always no proscenium except on Insta and on threads where we're, we are no underscore proscenium. Uh, there's another bit that I have to like, you know, scratch out of the usual bit. Uh, as always, uh, Oh, um, one more thing. One more thing before we to the, 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 all the Patreon backers. Um, look, this show, uh, in a sense, from a certain point of view, and you, love my, you know I love my certain points of view, is, is powered by our friends at Yes Please Coffee. Uh, they were one of the backers of the Next Stage Summit. Uh, Tonks and company provided all the coffee that we drank there. And I wanted to do a solid. Uh, Tony's, Tony's a a dear friend of mine, uh, we were having coffee <laughs> on Saturday. It's what we do. We get together and talk and over coffee. It's like our, our, our it's our thing. Uh, and, uh, we, we got to talking and I was just like, look, what can I do to get people into your camp? So Tony's given us, um, Tony's given us a, a promo code. Uh, so if you use no pro, yes, please. So, uh, and yes, please is P L Z, right? I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, that gets you 25% off your first purchase of any bag of yes, please beans. Uh, the code isn't case sensitive. It applies to both subscriptions, uh, for first shipment and to one-time purchases, uh, not getting promotional consideration for this. Although I, I did say, Hey, if I can get you X number of people, then you got to give me free coffee. Uh, but I'm not saying what that X number is and I deep behind the coffee anyway. So like, don't, don't worry about that. I just wanted to share something that I love with you, much like all the immersive stuff. So there you go. Uh, it'll be in the show notes and you'll hear it every week, but big shout outs to our friends at yes, please. And use that code. No pro. Yes, please. I don't, I don't do a lot of copy reading here uh, for, to get your 25% off discount. It's good coffee. It powers me. If I don't sound like I'm on it right now, it's because I'm recording this at 1137 at night and I'm tired because it's worn off because I, I haven't had it in many an hour. Um, and I know I can't drink some right now. I'll be up till like this time tomorrow. <sighs> All right. As always. Big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulet, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Lee and Andy McGuire, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Basick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Leckard LeCool, The Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. As always, if you're looking to help us out, uh, we're always on the Look out for special deals for our community, like what we just got from Yes Please, or tickets to shows, et cetera, et cetera. Hit me up at noah at noprescinium.com. Work out a deal, and uh, the door is open.
And with that, very, very long intro, told you the rant at the start this time, we get into episode 400. As you heard in the cold open, this is the 400th episode of the show, which means we've been doing this, uh, the podcast, I guess, just, just under eight years. Just exactly. I don't know. It's been a long, long time and math, not my strong suit. That's why I'm in the arts uh, entertainment field. Uh, joining us today are six of the team members from no pro uh i'm gonna introduce them uh one at a time and give everyone a chance to hook on to their to their voices uh not too long ago uh you heard this next voice uh that would be parker sella the associate producer of the podcast who recently co-hosted hey how's it going i'm back and i'm excited uh, right before that uh hosting the show was patrick mclean Yep, and I'm here too to chat everyone's ears off. <laughs> uh, coming to us from somewhere in New England is Leah Davis. Hi, hi. You know when you uh, want us to make our voices be heard, I just want to. I want to do a voice like this. Um, <laughs> but no, you this did, is this is me. In your register, you kind of did a voice. You did a bit. I yeah. Oh gosh. It's okay. You're a LARPer. You're allowed to do bits. This is hey, this is hey, hey! Don't don't out me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's that's been, that's been hidden again. Okay, ah, I got to get these updates. Uh, on the other side of Los Angeles, uh, from me, uh, well, there's two people on the other side of Los Angeles. That only narrows it down. There's there's one of two people who's going to go next. Uh, this one was recently across the pond. That would be Laura Hess. Okay, now I'm really uh, resisting the urge to do my Muppet voice, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for some other time. Yeah, we. This is not. This is not a team meeting. We're not doing Muppets on this one. All right. Also, if we did Muppets, I think we'd get sued. We have to do Puppet Americans. Only, only Puppet Americans. Uh, if you know what that's reference to, then you see get the same Instagram ads that I do here in Los Angeles. Um, Gonna fly over to New York real quick for our NYC curator, Allie. Hey, this is Allie, and I didn't get the memo to prepare a bit. <laughs> there was no memo to prepare a bit, so don't worry about it. Uh, and the, the, the no, group this just, just happens. The, the group just stays prepared at all times for bits. Um, which brings us finally to our LA Reviews editor, who's on the other, other side of Los Angeles from me, because I'm kind of in the middle. That'd be Kevin Gossett. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin. Uh, Laura beat me to the uh, special After Dark Muppets uh, episode joke. So, uh, oh, well. (laughs) There we go. Uh, All right. So I've uh, brought you all here today to reminisce uh, because, like I said, it's been a long time. And we always do this on the big numbered episodes, which we get to do like every other year because that's how math and time works. Uh, Leah. I'm going to start with you, if only because when I was pitching this around to everybody, you actually started answering the question. So I figured you're kind of maybe ready to go. So <laughs> I'm giving everyone, I want to get everyone's origin story. But the idea here isn't like, you know, 
rocketed from a doomed planet, you know, crash landed into the McKittrick and was raised by actors. No, it's, it's not that kind of origin story. I want to know more the actorly moment before. What were you doing before uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem here uh, lured you onto the never-ending tour that is No Proscenium? I was, I was already a groupie. Can I, can I say that? Sure. Um, well, I mean, what I mean is I had been going to sleep no more. I'd been going to, then she fell. I discovered queen of the night. I'd been just hoovering up any amount of immersive that I could find without really knowing what it was at first. Um, and I think eventually the people in my life were just so sick of me talking about it all the time. And I had big ideas that I needed to share. So I went looking for people who would let me share them. Um, and when I, when I first approached Noah and Catherine at the time, um, that was, that was them. They gave me a bit of a platform, um, and recognized my, my deep experience here. Uh, but mostly they just let me scratch, scratch the itch, talk about something that I care about deeply. All right. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. And then, um, then I got rocketed into the McKittrick and raised by actors after okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. No. Only thing. Oh, you hadn't, you hadn't gone? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Kevin, how about you? Because like, I feel like your origin story also like ties into like the halcyon days of, uh, of, of L.A.'s immersive scene. Yeah, so uh, the origin of my origin story is obviously Sleep No More, Then She Fell. Um, and then I kind of came back to L.A. and was like, what is around here? And I found tension and that was kind of my access point into the wider immersive LA community and I kind of banged around for a little bit had done some writing and then was looking for like a deep dive piece that I pitched uh, to you and then that's how I got started but then naturally my first piece was like a little uh, photo or whatever those ones are called anymore um, and that's <laughs> so that was the first piece I published it was not like my deep dive it was just a uh, it's like a 90s Nick at Night themed thing did we ever did we ever do the deep dive or is that still yeah, staying it was, on it was, draft it was, somewhere? It was Rochester 96. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I haven't thought about that in a while. Uh, yep. <laughs> Parker, you've, you've been behind the scenes for a long time and I bet, I bet the others don't know like your moment before. This is true. Behind the scenes is my, is my happy spot. Um, I found my way into the, Sort of, you know, the tunnels underneath No Pro, for lack of a better term, um, just in the it's in Disney's the, laundry <laughs> land. <laughs> exactly um, in the in the deep depths of the early pandemic, um, and just before that, I was, and I say this with my my best pretentious white girl voice, I was studying abroad in London, um, which is very cool, <laughs> and I stumbled into Parabolics Bridge Command and was just sort of adopted by the other audience members at that show at that show and they swept me off to a bunch of other immersive shows in the area and that was when I really like got my first glimpse into the fact that there was community in immersive theater and it wasn't just me you know slamming my head into walls trying to find other people who were into the same thing and they led me into uh no proscenium as well so the Londoners this is this is the part they're always like that freaks me out, but like, I'm always like both tickled and sort of terrified by the fact that like the London people, I think, I think at one point Shelly was telling me our, our London curator, it wasn't Shelly who said it, but like someone was asking someone else like, well, what's the equivalent of no proscenium in London? And someone said, 
no proscenium, right? Like that's, that's, that's the thing over there, which is, is odd to me. Um, if only because, you know, I was raised in American public media. So like thinking of, I just assumed there'd be the, the BBC version of us somewhere, you know, or, or maybe the spider punk version of us somewhere. That'd be cooler. Uh, Laura, I feel like early pandemic era is also sort of when uh, part of, part of your tale here about your moment before with no pro, cause we didn't, we didn't get to meet in person until like er, mid 2022 or something. Yeah, it's like, really, even... it's really, uh, I mean, I know it's, it's actually common it's for a lot of people, now. but it's also such a surreal experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, my origin story is I had a theatrical, I mean, still do have a theatrical background. And then I uh, wound up working in, in film, a little bit of VR, experiential marketing, but throughout, um, and definitely had like a seminal sleep no more initiation moment. But I think for me, actually, the real through line was installation art. That was something that um, I, I don't have a formal education in. Um, it was something that for a long time, I was just going and doing on my own wherever I could find it. And it was something that I did just out of pure enjoyment and curiosity. And then especially starting to see when I was working in experiential marketing, starting to see some of the parallels and overlap from a theatrical standpoint and and seeing where people were trying to kind of push the envelope a little bit. And um, I'd been working for an art and culture consulting firm that had um, specializing in public art and, it just felt like here's all these disparate things that not that there's no overlap. People were already trying to, um, to innovate and to to kind of create these hybrid models. But I was like, Oh, I, I felt like I was, I was doing all these things separately and I was definitely longing and looking for a place and people where we were talking about all of this and people were creating experiential works that were really new and interesting and exciting. Um, so I definitely kind of was like, Oh, I have, I have found you. Thank you. Awesome. And, but then we and were then all you, in isolation. You got, you got, you got into being like the arts editor. Now we send you to all, all the installation art you can possibly uh, stand. No, that's what I wanted. I, I was, you know, I was going for it. So, but it is nice to actually be able to, see people in person now oh yeah definitely patrick yeah and i feel bad going i think i'm last because no oh oh, good so because i'm going to be an eeyore about this because i was definitely right before um joining up with no proscenium was very kind of lost creatively i've been trying to get work done in very traditional senses through traditional avenues of like theater and film and performance and in reconnecting with an old professor of mine. Uh, Hey Dean, he's probably in the car on the commute right now listening to this. He is with part of a group called Birch House Immersive who does work here in Chicago and to, you know, have that McKittrick X moment of like getting up out of a seat and moving about and engaging in a unique space in a way because they did it at a, um, 
oh, like a, a park space that has a really cool, like old historic mansion. And it was just, it was just inspiring and it was just engaging and it moved me in a way we hadn't. And uh, furthermore, Dean then was like, have you been listening to this podcast called No Proscenium? And uh, literally, I think two episodes after starting to listen, Noah, you put out a call out for more like help. And I'm like, what do I have to lose? And then I think uh, <laughs> setting and then setting up a further tradition. Upon, yeah. Yeah. And setting up a tradition of because I'm pretty sure we just talked about Star Wars role playing games for most of my interview. Uh, Entirely which, possible. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm eyeing, eyeing, as always, I'm eyeing your bookshelf and I'm like, oh, do I have that? Do I have that? Oh, what's been added? Oh, those are some High Republic books. We haven't talked about that yet. Uh, yeah. And he's nodding because I'm correct because I can see. Um, <laughs> And they're not, they're not even close. They are, they're far. There's, they're a few feet yeah. behind him. And I, and I know exactly which book is where, and I have not been in his. Anyway, it's, I, it's my, it's my psychic ability. Uh, that's not <laughs> creepy at all. <laughs> it's because, because it looks like my bookshelf. That's why, that's why I know. Oh, yeah. I've spotted the Sandman collection on your bookshelf the one time. I'm like, oh, there it is. Top shelf in the middle. Mm-hmm. I saw, I recognize those spines. Yeah, it's moved now. It's it's now uh, oh, okay. it's, it's somewhere else at the moment, but uh, but it's still there. It's still prominent. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's what Patrick and I do all the time to everyone's chagrin. Um, I saved Allie for last because we get to hear Allie like not all that often, and also it's either Allie or Kevin who's been with us the longest. I just I can't like both of you have been with us for so long i just literally just don't even think of no proscenium as existing without either of you as part of it even though i I do know what era error era guess who hasn't been to the taylor swift show guys uh i know which era that uh that you're from you should have seen the groans on everyone's faces it was awesome it's like that was the daddest joke i've ever made i have now fully entered my dad phase ali tell us tell us about your moment before oh my goodness okay well my moment before started uh, in my undergraduate program, I was studying device theater, which we all know is a hop, skip, and a jump away from immersive. And my friend uh, went to go see Then She Fell, and he was like, he's obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. And he was like, you have to see this. Um, so mm-hmm. I did see it. Of course, I fell in love, took everyone I knew to go see it, um, went to go see it with that friend. He's still my creative partner today. Um And then I decided to go to London to do a master's degree in contemporary performance, specializing in immersive. Um, And then when I got back, I actually, I think I answered a call for writers. And I remember speaking with Catherine and I had sent this like writing sample of a review I had done on this Broadway show that was awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forget what it was. It was some like country thing. That totally had nothing to do with immersive work. And Catherine was like, okay, like go do a trial review. Um, And it was some weird uh, three-quarter thrust show uh, that was attempting to be immersive. And that's where it all started. And that was in 2017. So if that helps you with your eras, 
math. Maybe I'm dating. Yeah. Myself, but yeah, no, I think it. Yeah. 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 Like I can't, I can't remember if it was like 2017 or 2018 when we, when we poached Kevin. Uh, but it's, it's, it's 2018. So yeah. So yeah. Kevin's like 2018 in the chat. So yeah. Ali's Ali seniority. So I, I saved the longest serving oh my gosh. Uh, for less y'all. This is an intervention. No, uh, <laughs> I was going to say long may she reign, but the, the, the teach their own. No, it's an intervention for all of us. Uh, but no, it's true. It's like, it's great. And, and it's been wonderful. Like we've been so, We've been really blessed with the New York team and its composition, and it was I was really happy when we got to like elevate you to to the curator status, uh, and in something you know Catherine's come up twice in this, and if any and and Catherine was on, um, was that last week's episode now? Yes, that was literally last week's episode. Catherine was on last week's episode, and and the thing is like like. Why isn't Catherine here right now? It's because we have to get special dispensation for her to be on the show uh, from from her bosses because she works for a game studio doing VR stuff at Meta. And so there's a lot of hoops we got to go through. Uh, she, specifically, there's a lot of hoops Catherine has to go through in order to like hop on the show. Uh, and we, we, we play that card when it's absolutely critical. But uh, if anyone thinks that we're not talking to Catherine all the time, <laughs> like no we are she's not doing a lick of work for us let's be very clear about that but uh her input is always valued and she's a a big part of the team uh in spirit and then on the institute side she's a a big part of the team in practice but that's why that's why we haven't gotten a chance to like hear as much from Catherine over uh over the time parker you can you can say things and not just put them in the chat you don't you can you can jump (laughs) with the quips what was Listen, that i have to keep reminding myself the podcast is an audio medium um <laughs> but i said she's not even a friend of the show she's a godparent of the show yes that is very very true um all right yeah half the stuff y'all are always in the chat like clicking away and i'm like just say it just say it say it in the, the show. chat is so good noah i will <sighs> never give up the chat i love the chat there's a fair few creators we can blame for this, for their immersive Zoom productions. We are trained to use the chat. That is very true. Yeah. That's very, very, very true. Um, I'm, yeah. It makes me think of uh, how, how, how active the uh, the little cinema uh, digital chats get when whenever there was like a premiere show. And it'd be particularly weird because like there was – there'd be all kinds of people like during pandemic, they'd be doing a premiere and like you'd see incredibly famous people just in the chat streaming by real time. It was, it was really, really wild. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, Oh God, there was someone else. It's like, I can't believe this person's in here and I can see their face right now, but like I'm, I'm blanking on. It wasn't at the snow piercer. You did snow piercer. And I think it was Jennifer Conley, right. Or no, no, no. On snow piercer. I think David Diggs was running around and like, that was like, that was like, that was a little bit wild. Um, and like, Oh yeah. Allie, who did you see? Neil Patrick Harris at Eschaton. Oh my God. I, I was going to use that as my, as my entryway thing, but I think, well, hold on. Not Eschaton. I, um, I traded a lobster with him at uh, Queen of the Night, and it was like the most bizarre experience. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that was great. Neil is such, Neil's a huge fan of all this stuff. And I don't know if any of you tracked, like he just had his 50th birthday celebration and like 50 days of like an ARG was was done for him. Um, And it was, it was, it was done by some of like, you know, some pretty heavy ARG designer folks. And it was like his husband got him at us a present and like it even, even bled into like, the view or something he was on the view or something like the view one of those one the day show or something one of those morning shows and like he got one of his clues then uh just really really over the top uh next level of the game type stuff ah all right so we know we know we know neil patrick harris was having a birthday uh that's one of the things that's trending right now uh what else what else is going on here in immersive land? Cause we, we have these conversations all the time. This is one of those times we get to like sort of perform the conversation for everybody, but also we haven't gathered everyone in one chat room like this in a while. So I kind of want to get a sense of what's on everyone's mind uh, about where the state of things are. I think it's kind of weird. Maybe a launching point is, uh, and you wrote a piece kind of about it, is I think closing of the Burnt City and Star Cruiser seem to be the kind of the major like touch points I think for everybody and kind of like where do we where do we go next that kind of these kind of institutional seeming shows are not going to be around in a few months. What I think is interesting about that, bringing that up, Kevin, to maybe start this conversation off is too, and it's in many ways is the Burnt City and the Galactic Star Cruiser, I think, represent on a very massive, very corporate level, but nevertheless are examples of like the dream that we've kind of do talk about amongst ourselves in regards to immersive experiences in a very general sense, being part of the lexicon and the everyday awareness of the general public. And it has, it it happened. They were going. And then due to the same corporate elements that lifted them up, they're probably maybe going away. I don't know the, as many of the the specifics of the burnt city, but just Google galactic star cruiser and everyone will be caught up to speed. And so I think it's kind of fascinating that, we got there and then it happened and it was wonderful. And then it's like over kind of like in that very kind of traditional, like LARP or like RPG hero journey. Like we, we did it, it happened. And now it's like, whatever, you know? And I, I I find myself thinking about it too, in regards to their closure and not sure where that leaves us. I don't know. I, I think it, yeah, I think it leaves us with the reality of happily ever after. Um, which is to say it's not one big peak forever and ever. So Mm. we've now seen some giant proofs. uh, And I think what we're going to start seeing is stuff really integrated across all sorts of platforms and mediums. Um, I think you're going to be seeing a lot more small immersive elements in restaurants. I think Laura has some experience, um, some experiences there recently. Um, I know that we've got a few music festivals like Electric Zoo coming up that are incorporating immersive stages. Um, the Boston Museum of Science just had a huge uh, and and first gathering of digital and immersive artists. And it was really just sort of a an almost a debutante-esque coming out party for these artists to introduce them to people in in the community because we really don't have a huge immersive community. But I think getting stuff 
like Sleep No More that has been so successful for so long, uh, and now these j- bigger, bigger institutions that are maybe closing down some of their stuff, is showing other people how other other business owners, other sectors, how they can incorporate immersive in ways that are also pretty effective. That's definitely one one line I think I want us to like ply into and, and explore uh, as we continue to talk here today. I think another thing, critical thing is like these these two are closing down uh, for in some ways for like different but same reasons in some senses. So with Burnt City, we know that Punch Drunk has that location like on a long lease and that is their laboratory and they want to make new work and they are a theater company and they're interested in exploring new things. And that show has, I think it saw more people than the drowned man ever did. Uh, And it feels like for them, it did what it needed to do. It ran its course. And as a creative entity, you know, Felix has been talking for a while about no longer being interested in the mask show, right? As punch drunk signature, put the audience in a mask, have them go around. So I think part of the, you know, the whole shock of, oh, it's closing. Some of that is similar to what here in LA we get when a creator would be like, oh, man, eh, I've done as much of show X that I've wanted to do. I want to move on. I think Star Cruiser, what's fascinating and something we, we did a huge episode last week, but we didn't get into some of the business side of it. A thing that we learned on our final night on the cruise, we were talking to this guy uh, from Montreal who it was his second time on board. Uh, he had gone just a few months before and then like managed to like find a berth, sort of like the way Catherine found us a berth. He found a spot because he loved it so much the first time that he was like, it's closing. I have to go back. I have to, I have to go back before it's gone forever. And he told us that they had done no international advertising, none. Everyone who hasn't heard this yet in the call is looking shocked. It's true. And the only way to book time, to book a berth, was to call a U.S.-based number. I, I can't even remember if it was like a toll-free one, right? So the booking process was opaque. The marketing effort sort of feels like they gave up, right? They they had a legendarily bad rollout with videos so bad that they pulled them from YouTube and then got ridiculed for pulling them on YouTube. And I never saw those videos, but from all, from everything I heard, like they were really bad because it was the old playbook. And that for me highlights the issue that experiential of any form has and always will have, which is the proof of this stuff being good is in the experiencing of it. And once you're initiated, once you know what the possibilities are, it becomes easy to imagine what another experience like this would be. But until you're on the other side of it, you can imagine, but you won't quite understand what the value of it all is. And this is something that everyone talks about all the time, about how it's hard to sell this stuff. And the thing I find myself disappointed in in the case of star cruiser is that I was really hoping that a company, the size of Disney with the resources and the marketing savvy that they have or had at least, uh, you know, pre current era 
of budget cuts, um, that they were going to be the ones to crack the nut on how to sell this to people who didn't know what it was. And they didn't. They didn't manage to. And it's been interesting to see as people go back or are desperate to get back on board, do whatever they can, and the things sell out because of that, that I think what we see at the end of, of Star Cruiser's lifespan is it a picture of what it would have been two, three years from now, which is people returning for their third time, friend groups returning, people leaning harder into LARPing, leaning harder into playing with each other and not just playing with the other characters, right? Passengers, passengers find that they can do this game. That's something I think we would have seen in year three and year four start to emerge to the point where it would have been a, a rather steady state. Still not necessarily the numbers that a company the size of Disney wants to see, but almost certainly a success by any other, any other company's measurement, particularly a, a smaller company. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's the sort of, we often find these moments where something was made and it's really, really ahead of the curve. Uh, I was reading today about uh, the Trocadero at Piccadilly Circus, I think, in London back in like the 80s and 90s, which at one point was like owned by Pepsi. And in like, oh man, in like the early 90s, let me see if I get the, this was actually something I saw in Blue Sky. It's like the most incredible thing I saw on Blue Sky. Um uh, yet so far period um i can't take it out for whatever reason oh because i'm not in replies um oh it's just not there anyway the point is uh there was a fully functional theatrical with actors aliens branded aliens war experience in like the 90s like in the basement of the trocadero and like you went in and there were colonial marines and there were guys in alien suits and it felt like you were going down the corridors and they had all these special effects to give you a full sort of alien haunted house thing. Um, and then like most things in London, it failed out because it flooded. Um, and, <laughs> and it flooded and then it went away and never quite came back uh, as it was originally intended. Uh, like sort of uh, non-branded. Oh, that's the thing. I wasn't looking on. I was looking on Threads and not Blue Sky. That's why I couldn't find it. That's the world we live in right now. Um, but but that was like the '90s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, something that was th- that charged. Like these things are cyclical. Well, what I think is very interesting is regards to like you, Noah, mentioning. You know, like. Disney coming in to be the one to crack the nut. And I think in this, this maybe new era in this, this moment of transition rather than ending, it's a moment of transitioning from before to after to something new. I, I've been thinking a lot about, cause um, I'm good for my day job. I work in a financial industry and I think as a community of artists in general, and I'm talking about just traditional theater, movies, um, all of it, radio, ev- anything that is entertains the, the the general public. I think for a long time there's been 
a reliance or whether we've looked up to and idolized the business as knowing what they're doing. And I think right now with a lot of headlines and the state of the world as it is, um, and my time in 10 years in a financial business and sector, they don't know what's going on. They have very little idea and it takes also very little to wow them. And I think it's been very fascinating to hear you talk about that. No, and also going back to the next stage, I, I feel like there was a lot of conversations and a lot of desire to be part of conversations that were about business. I feel like a lot of the sessions where it was about, you know, um, the summer camp experience and then the marketing uh, one that Kevin, you, I know you uh, audited, but you were in the room (laughs) for it listens, but that like we had an overflow room. People really wanted to like dig in and learn that stuff. And so I think it's just kind of fascinating in this moment that I think this is our opportunity to continue to grow as artists and as a community, but in a very different way to, to go, to go, to get off the stage, to get out of the magic circle and to learn how to support it in a new way. And I think uh, going back to the next stage, that was Mr. and Mischief's session during that was, it was how do you bridge the creative and the business to like put on a successful show, but also to get people to come to your successful show and fund the show and keep people paid and all these different aspects. So it seems like it's something that probably a lot of people struggle with struggle with because it seems like people that come too immersive on the creator side are on the more creative side rather than that business side. Um, and it's like, how do you bridge that and kind of get the marketing and get all these things to make sense to people that might not be fully bought into the concept of immersive theater. And I think that's what we always come back to, or I come back to a lot is how do you simplify this? And I think at its core, Star Cruiser is like kind of simple to explain, but it's there's a lot of pieces and it's like, is it a cruise? Is it immersive? Is it LARP? Like, what is it? And like, how do you how do you explain that um, in a clear way and get people on board? But even like smaller shows, like you just got to get the word out and like explain what your show's about to get people into the seats. I think there's also some really interesting stuff that's happening that um, may not be what is predominantly in front of us. Um, you know, talking about Punch Drunk and Disney and these real titans of the industry and deservedly so. Um, I think that, uh, so there's a couple of things I want to touch on. I I really appreciated, Noah, your, your two recent op-eds because I'm really worn out by the cynicism and not that everyone is this way. There are loads of people who are incredibly positive and innovative and and looking to keep moving forward um, and aren't getting bogged down in the cynicism and and, um, negativity. Um, I am really interested in following more of these like big luxury brands. We've talked about this a little bit before. It's definitely something that I'm deeply invested in because when we're talking about the business side and like where is their funding and who is continuing we're starting to throw money behind uh, big productions. And so whether it's the two Louis Vuitton productions, whether it's Vuve Clicquot's um, Solaire Culture, whether it's this new On the Wings of Hermes, I mean, it was already in, all three of those have had global tours. Um, and they're, they're continuing to put a lot of money behind it. Uh, there was Hermes had the, the big one night only like sort of Broadway-esque 
musical uh, production that they did for their big um, flagship boutique that opened, I think it was last summer um, in New York. And so I think that's really interesting to kind of keep track of. Um, Hopefully not everyone rolls their eyes at this next thing, although totally fair if you do, Um, but at least with this group, because I've been such a um, big proponent of this. Um, I still feel like I'm kind of swimming against the tide around the projected art experiences and saw the David Hockney collaboration in London. I think it's totally an evolution of the form. And with some of these things... Just to clarify, you mean the Hockney is an evolution of that form? Yeah, right. So with the projected art experiences, um, I think that there have been some critics that have said like either they're they're just pretty, they're superficial, there's no depth, there's no emotional narrative or heart. Um, I think in some cases that's true, or that's true at least to a degree. There's also been a range of production quality. That's all fair. These are great discussions to have. We should be having them. But there are some people that don't even think that that form should exist. And really, at the end of the day, if it is a trend, um, people will vote with their wallets and it will die out. Um, My opinion certainly doesn't matter in that case. But I think that we are continuing to see people going to those with good reason. And now there is what I think is an evolution of the form. um, And I'll be writing about that shortly. And, uh, and the third thing I want to throw out is um, a recent trip to um, Mary Shelley's House of Frankenstein, which is an immersive museum in Bath, England. And I think to Kevin's point, we're seeing places, I know there's debate around, or, or there's at least conversation around immersive and feeling that that term isn't clearly defined. There is an industry standard uh, in relation to what does that actually mean? What is the definition of immersive and how is it being used? Um, I'm a lot less concerned with that. I, I think, again, it's a worthy discussion to have, but I think we can also afford some grace to different creators and, and people that are trying to test out new things. And this is not a slick production. But this was financed um, in large part by the local people of Bath. And it is delightful. I thought they did so many things well. It was, I learned so much. I have talked about it. I have read up on it. It does everything that we want immersive and experiential to do. I've continued to think about it. I have very strong memories. It continues to live with me. And was it a really high end in the way that we typically talk about some of this stuff? Was it like incredibly high end, uh, high production value? No. Is it really well done, especially for where it is and what it's about and the relationship that Mary Shelley has to Bath or had to Bath? A hundred percent. And I'm hoping that we're going to continue to see more of that. And so I think those are three big touch points that um, I think are good indicators of really positive movement in the industry. Let's get over to Leah and then uh, to Allie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Laura, you were saying all of that so much better than I I think I was trying to say uh, in my brain earlier. Um, But there are two things that I'm noticing that I, that I wanted to hit on there. One is the, the, 
indie creator, the the town creator, people creating things for their smaller communities. Um, and in Boston at the at the Museum of Science at this most recent event, uh, Waveforms, that's exactly what I was seeing. And one of the interesting things I was I was seeing there, Laura, you'll be happy to know, is some really innovative um, light and projection art exhibits. Um, not full immersive Van Gogh, but uh, we were looking at a bunch of indie stuff, both on the IMAX screen and in the planetarium. And what I was noticing was how the relationship between the audience or the, the viewers of this art and the art shifted so dramatically. And I think there's just so much room for artists to play with ritual spaces, um, which is something that Masari Studio was dealing with. The way that we were all sat around in the planetarium facing each other focused up on this digital art that was being projected around us we weren't there to be entertained this was not a pink floyd show we were there for an experience and what it really felt like was like our attention was sustaining the art in the middle and if one of us were to maybe break attention or look away something would change and this had a lot to do with how the sound was was affecting the imagery etc 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 um we're proving now that you kind of had to be there. It's hard to talk about what these are to get people in the door. The other thing that I wanted, like on the other end of the spectrum, have you guys um, seen this news about Virgin Voyages lately? No. Okay. So this is, this is great. Um, this is uh, Virgin cruise ships. It's, it's a cruise. That's, you know, that's in quotation marks, all it is. Um, but they're launching a cruise this year with five new acts, and I think three of them, at least three, are fully immersive. Um, one is Persephone by House of Yes. So now we're seeing, right, um, a, a New York institution coming through and creating an immersive party for a cruise audience. Another is called Lola's Library. This is a cocktail party and immersive cabaret. Um, and the final is Supper Club series featuring another rose. And guys, this is produced by Randy Weiner of Sleep No More, Queen of the Night. So I think when we're talking about how do we bring people into immersive, one of the things that's going to start happening is people are going to be having these immersive experiences without necessarily knowing that that's what they're in for. They're going to be coming to the Louis Vuitton store or they're going to be coming on a virgin cruise. And then once they're in there, in that space, it's kind of up to us to say, and by the way, did you know, like, surprise, it was immersive all along. And now you know what this is. And let's continue this journey together. I want to, I want to shoot over to Ali for a second, but like, you know, it's the, the cruise thing is definitely interesting. Uh, and, you know, we had Monica Miklas on talking about her work at RWS and it's, it's not the Virgin uh, setup uh, from what I know, but you know, she's been working on, you know, immersive entertainment on the cruise ships uh, as well, right? Like this is, um, there's, there's, a, there's some other cruise lines who are also exploring this. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's moved into a, a broader, wider world. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I very much want to pitch this, by the way. Yeah, well, we can see, I don't, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, we're still, look, like, Influential people listen to this show, but like uh, cr- cruise level influential, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, 
you happen to work for Virgin Voyages and you listen to the show, just know that Leah would like to come and uh, Leah's will, at the dock. Bag is packed, ready yeah. to go. I will write about it like nobody's business. I will yes. let the people know that this is now, immersive. Now we're not we're not guaranteeing a, a positive review, but you will get reviewed. I, I can guarantee an interesting review. How about that? that yes, that I can guarantee. <laughs> uh, Allie, you've 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 been you've been chomping a bit for a hot minute here. So there's so much to say. Um, but I think uh, what Leo was just saying about like when we're bringing immersive into these spaces where like the maybe the like non-immersive muggle folk might be, it, it is kind of like I think of it like teaching a little bit where. Sometimes when when I was a teacher, my students didn't know what the lesson was until we got to the end of it. And that's the craft of teaching. Like you're they're experiencing the learning and then they realize, oh, I see what you did there. It's a little bit like that. Um, but in this whole conversation, I've been thinking about a couple of things which I think about when I'm assessing an immersive production and keeping in mind my beat is more, you know, immersive theater than some of the other stuff. But uh, the first question, like in terms of, especially with these larger commercial productions, um, like the Star Wars thing and Burnt City, first question I ask is, is it accessible? Because it's usually not. Either it's not accessible price-wise or it's not physically accessible. Or if it is both of those things, then perhaps it's not accessible in the sense that someone can buy in easily. Um, and I'm thinking, I just saw The Burnt City um, last week and I, I didn't like it, which is controversial, I'm sure. But um, I, I can understand how that production would be very frustrating to someone who didn't get a one-on-one -on -one and then had no sort of sense of what to do and how to be and it was it's a very it was a very hard environment to be in to be frank interesting i've had um, i i've known other people who aren't who are theater people but not immersive people who did not like it but you're the first immersive person i've known who's like wasn't my bag and that your analysis of lack of one-on-one -on -one or just like what what the entry rate point to it was um You're also i think it might it might be a little like greek mythology is a little harder than you know shakespeare even which seems mm -hmm. counterintuitive but you know you gotta yeah, be way also, farther in your electives on greek mythology well that, that's also interesting though from an american point of view that's probably correct but everything i've i've heard about um uh British Shelley's talked about that. Yeah. yeah. That, I think the, like the, the Greeks is a, it's as, as, as big a part of like the traditional learning culture in those formative years mm -hmm. as Shakespeare. I mean, I have no point of reference cause I dived into Edith Hamilton's mythology when I was in like middle school. So like, but I'm a freak. So I, I don't, know classes. don't know. I will say you that know. as an American, I felt more, I felt like the on-ramp through Greek mythology was easier, more resonant, more interesting than Shakespeare. So mm. for what that's worth. 
And then- There's also something to be said, and I am willing to take all of the flack and shame that comes with my saying of this, but I, I'm a little bit younger, I think, than other folks in the podcast by at least a couple of years, and I am sort of at the very old end of the Percy Jackson generation, so just looking at um... about Greek mythology from i know i know i'm sorry i apologize for bringing all of that up just now back or um, brag on your age I, I barely, no I barely, no, no. <laughs> i, I um, only know about percy jackson because of like you know the trade mags and like them always trying to remake <laughs> it so like that's my full experience is whatever is going on in variety when it comes to Americans and people in general like having enough of a knowledge about Greek mythology to easily access. And I haven't seen The Burnt City, but I do know that it does is about Greek mythology. So when it comes to having the knowledge to access a piece like that, I think there is more of a a, a baseline understanding in certain groups, the groups being, you know, British school kids who learn about this like you guys were talking about or you know anyone who's read the percy jackson series not to say that it's only like people in my demographic that have obviously anybody can they're they're just books but culturally <laughs> trying to turn I, this into a percy jackson podcast party? no that, i'm not um, I, I am not um, trying to be I like no, a percy jackson fan what do they call <laughs> percy jackson fans she's what, really what? worried about offending the old people that's all harry potter you know, those yeah, old, those, old those, those Seriatric millennials who, that, yeah, yeah. The series right. which cannot be named, and you can't even make that joke because it contains itself like some kind of horrible Ouroboros. Wow, that didn't spark anything. <laughs> and you know what? It's okay. It's okay to have different opinions. Um, I will say, though, that I do I do know a fair amount of Greek mythology, and I still found it hard to to buy in. Um, I didn't feel particularly invited or Mm. onboarded or included. And that's the big Mm. thing that I'm looking for in immersive work. And I write about this a lot in my scholarly work. Like it's that bonus part other than the site specificness or the participation or the curated environment. It's that extra thing that you're treating the audience in a different way, right? And I felt the same way that I felt watching the invitation. You know, the invitation is so critical, right? Yeah. Like the invitation that you get that I got at, at Then She Fell, if it wasn't for that moment of invitation, right? You know, would you like to have some tea? We wouldn't be talking right now. It's such a special moment. Uh, I, I know Leo wants to jump in, but I also want to. I want to see if everyone else. Th- everyone, while Leo's jumping in, think about what your invitation was. What was the thing that invited you into immersive? Man, um, how can I have two thoughts at once, Noah? This is rough. Um, Adult ADHD. <laughs> Come on, we know the answer. Any okay, answer, the answer, the answer. Yeah. Um, okay, I got this. So. I wonder, Allie, because I completely agree with you that the invitation is so important, but I wonder if there are different shows that are meant to invite you in different ways. And I I always got the feeling that um, The Burnt City was meant to be a show that was supposed to unfold over multiple visits, Um, especially once they started bringing bringing the tickets down to 25 pounds. Um, And they were were making a good number of of tickets available for, for locals, for cheap. Yeah, regularly. And I think that was a large 
in my opinion, I think that was part of the intent for that show. Um, but that's really rough, especially for those of us who, yeah, want, like can go once or live far away or are splurging to get a very expensive ticket. Kevin. Well, that's the, I'll just say really quickly, the second point that I didn't talk about yet is who is this for? And did you make that clear? Because if that's who the burnt city was for, then I shouldn't have been there, you know? Mm. That's yeah. Let's, let's come back. If we got the no, time, that's a great point. you know, we got 10 minutes left, but like we got the time coming back to who is this for, but Kevin. Yeah. So I don't want to turn it into like a, a burnt city podcast, but I actually found it easier to follow the like smaller stories throughout the burnt city than it is in sleep no more, which is, mm-hmm. You're not chasing people up and down the hotel. There's like a lot of like kind of little stories that happen throughout the burnt city. But I think that also gets back to the point about accessibility. Those are easier to find if you're able to make multiple trips. And I think that gets into the things of cost. Like how how much time can you afford to spend going and getting to a show, especially when that's in London? How much time do you have to like, can you make multiple repeat visits? And how many can you make? Like, I think that's something we get into is like, how do you learn a show? And maybe that's even that, like that point you're making earlier about Star Cruiser, Noah is that he came back and he kind of knew what he wanted to do. And I think that's something that kind of does happen to immersive is like, how do you learn the show and how accessible is it if you have to like go a couple of times to figure out like how to play in that specific world? One of the things about Star Cruiser is it's clear they're obsessed with the idea this might be someone's one shot. And so they want to give you a really clear, good experience on the one shot. And indeed, the people, particularly the influencers who tried to like do it all because it won't support doing it all, like they they had way less fun because they were trying to hoard all the experience. Mm-hmm. The the cat from Montreal, he had had the interesting experience of he came fully in costume, cosplay mode, and then like he was he's dressed in like a director Krennic, uh, you know, Ben Mendelssohn's outfit from Rogue One. And then the characters were like all how'd you get that uniform? Did you steal it from someone? And in that moment he realized he's like, Oh, Oh, I should have had a character. And he's like, I'm a role player. I know better. I, I, I amateured houred it. So I, I knew I wanted to come back with my character pre-planned, like that there was an invitation to, to, to go deep if, if I wanted to. Um, I, I would the, say really even quick. I went, cause yeah. when I was at, for the next stage, I, got took the opportunity to go to galaxy's edge in Disneyland and Noah, I took your advice to just, even though I didn't really engage with anyone, I made a conscious decision that I was a, uh, a worker from the best spin mining corporation on vacation, visiting places in the outer rim. I had a shirt that said the Petronaki arena deep cuts for all three of you out there. And um, it just meant a lot more to me to walk around that space to think that I had known about this and I had been working and this was like a a respite from my daily life. And it, it, it it didn't, it it affected no one around me. And I told the friend I went with, but it just elevated the experience internally for me so much. Oh man, Patrick though it did affect people around you because when everybody has that mindset, I think, I think you feel it when other people are living in that universe fully and not just there as tourists. So no surprise, you guys are all, you're all secret LARPers. Yeah. Oh, not even, not even all that secret. Um, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's lifestyle LARPers. That's a whole other thing. Um, the, the, 
this notion that Ali brought up, and there's stuff going on in the chat I'm going to ignore for the second, because I'm interested in this idea of, uh, particularly as we get into our last five minutes, who is it for? Uh, and uh, Parker's got something, and hopefully it is on that on that topic. Yeah, I think the question of who is it for is actually a part of the accessibility question. Because if something is not for me, inherently, it's not going to be built to be accessible for me in the way of buy-in or barrier to entry or all of these lovely topics that Ali was talking about. And I'm going to talk about myself for a minute here, which is that I don't think Sleep No More was for me. I've, I've seen the show and it really did feel like a show for first-time experiencers. A lot of people talk about Sleep No More being their entry into immersive, but because I saw it three, four years after I'd already been involved, to me it was, oh, is, is, is this is this it? Is this what everybody's been talking talking up and talking about? Because at that point I was used to and comfortable with a lot of the things that seemed amazing in to a, a newcomer's eyes. And that's not to say, obviously, that Sleep No More is not amazing and was revolutionary and all these things and incredible for, for a first timer, but it was not for me. And so I did not get out of it what I think I was intended to get out of it, which to me is a concept of accessibility. I was not able to access the intended uh, experience from it. Laura's got a bit. I, um, I'm just actually going to throw this out. Maybe this is something for a conversation at a different time, but I think it is also interesting when we talk about what, who is this for and try to just as a thought exercise, try to consider it from a different sector within the experiential industry. So what I'm referring to specifically, again, is around installation art, which doesn't necessarily have um, performance. Uh, There may be interactivity, there may be absolutely none. And so an artist is making something without, hmm, how do I say this? Like, it's not that I think that artists don't have a clear vision. Uh, It's not that I think that they don't anticipate uh, how the messaging within their art, whether that's very explicit, whether it's more abstract, might resonate with certain people, but I think it's a different approach. And I think it's interesting to consider how does that look if we kind of put that hat on something like immersive theater Do we start to ask new questions or do we start to look at that in a slightly different way? Because I also think we have, we all now have so much uh, collectively institutional knowledge and now we have different biases. And I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm challenging Allie to an arm wrestle in the chat. Like, I I think it's, it's also good to sometimes take a step back and be like, let's have this, let's have this conversation trying to look at it through a different lens under the experiential umbrella. Well, let me, let me also posit, um, and, and this is cruel to do because, because of everyone's commitments, we got two minutes left. Uh, let me posit this, that one of the things we find, particularly in our current internet age, uh, which is the dominant means of communication is that everyone tries to make everything for everybody else but then will often find themselves when they are trying to address 
like a particular community that other folks come in and just completely misinterpret what's going on, right? Not everything has to be for everybody, but one should know and be marketing intelligently and signaling intelligently who and what these things are for. The, the example I got from the internet, you know, there was the, there's a, there's some stuff brewing right now because there's a country Western artist who covered, uh, who covered fast car, um, which I'm currently blanking on the name of the original artist, which is unfortunate because I, Tracy, Tracy Chapman, right. Uh, thank you, Parker, uh, covered Tracy Chapman's fast car, which is like a standard from the nineties, right? You know, like the second someone says it, you start hearing the song. And then there was this article, this really thoughtful article, um, maybe the New York times or maybe the post or something that was about how do black artists feel about the fact that this song is, you know, becoming like this, you know, is topping the, the country charts when black artists do not have any access to the country music world in any, in any real measurable way. And then you had, you know, your 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 typical white centrist Twitter opinion people uh, complaining about an article about like, well, why do we got to play the race card? And it's like that article wasn't for those white dudes, right? That article was about was black artists talking to black artists about, hey, how do we feel about this? Is this weird? And it's a little weird, but it's kind of good. It's kind of like sad and like bittersweet and interesting all at the same time. And that's not a conversation for white people like you can observe it and and learn something maybe but like they're not talking to you um there can be a piece of art where it's like they're not talking to you this isn't for you doesn't mean you can't show up and observe and it does get interesting when we get into experiential because of the participatory bias what does it mean to show up to a piece that is not for you and how are you as an audience member, you know, wh what then is your role there? Which is, you know, where we got to leave things. Because <laughs> we've come to the end of the hour, we promised ourselves, right? Those are the questions ahead of us uh, as, as, uh, as everything. Um, Ali's saying, sorry to be a menace in the, uh, in the thing. Well, Obviously, uh, we all got to get together on the more often. And luckily, as you know from the Slack, that Parker and I are planning some of that. So uh, maybe we'll pick up that question uh, soon enough. And we'll definitely do a Burnt City retrospective. I'm just literally reading what's going on in the chat and just telling everyone, like, thank you for making commitments in the chat, which I can now share with the audience, who will then now ask me, hey, where that episode where you guys are supposed to talk about this is at? And I'll just say, like, well, uh, talk to everyone's schedules because uh, it is hard to coordinate, you know, seven people. Um, before uh, we let Parker go, because uh, we have to, uh, anyone got uh, anything else, anything they're looking forward to, want to point out, uh, like something for everyone to keep their eye on as we, as we move into uh, the back end or the final part of 2023? 23. Yes, this is 2023. Anyone got anything? Everyone's. I'm going to cut I, this. I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I will say just to actually two things. One, very simply, I think also it's about connectivity and like built, like just thinking about in regards to also who is this for is also how are they connecting 
And I think I see that a lot because with my experience, it, with my work here at NoPro doing a lot of the more of the remote stuff, which is at-home boxes, VR experiences, phone stuff like that. In many of those meetings, the mediums in regards to it, it's about how these people are inter are interacting, whether there's an, a performer there, whether or not, whether there's miles and separation like that. So I think just being mindful of that in the form at large, I think would be kind of really good and helpful. And then the second thing is I want everyone to know I do have interests other than Star Wars. Not many, but I, I do have a few. I feel like all I've talked about is Star Wars on this podcast. Oh, come on. Come on, Patrick. Everyone knows you like VR too. <laughs> Yeah, and I, it's a, but I'm hard pressed to say I love Star Vader Immortal. That experience is still probably one of the better ones. Oh my god! Oh, all right, all right. Well, obviously we got to do this more often. Uh, we've fallen out of practice, and yet look at us. Uh, we got right into it. We could go on for another hour, but we also can't. So I want to thank Kevin and Leah and Parker and Laura and Allie and Patrick. Uh, I know everyone's going to get a little frustrated, like, but we just got into it. Well, pick it up in the Discord uh, with each other and with us. And who knows? Maybe, you know what we should do? What we should do, not even an episode. We should just, we should take, what was the, what's the question? Uh, what, what was what was the one like the who's this for? We should have that who's who's it for uh discussion in the Discord like actively. We should get everyone back together in voice chat mode, and we'll open it up to the to the Patreon audience as well. So there, that's a solve. Parker, let's figure out when we're going to do that. All right. Um, thank you all. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Allie and Kevin and Patrick and Leah and Laura and Parker all for being on the show this week. And I did, I did the rant at the start. So, um, no, no more, uh, plenty of fun stuff. Uh, funny, fun interviews are, are uh, being scheduled. Uh, like I mentioned, we got Curtis Hickman coming up. Uh, we've got uh, Nick Fortuno uh, talking with Lance Weiler about where there's smoke. That one's coming up. Uh, there's there's uh, some talk uh, out of Austin. There's just there's just a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff is going on, and um, and yeah, um, there you go. No more for you today. Uh, come back next week. I'm all out of podcast. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Shavano Lachlan for voicing our intro. And hey, you know what? Special thanks to you for listening. Especially those of you who have listened to like all 400 episodes. You wild. Um, if you've listened to all 400 episodes, write me, noah at nopersinium.com, and just say, I've listened. I just want to know. I really do. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, even if you know, if you think that I know that, that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't just assume. Tell me that you've listened to all of them. I, I want to know who has. Deeply curious about that. Watch nobody write. I'll be so sad. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>